Welcome. My name is Malk. Uh, we're in Acts 5 together this morning. Um, we're going to jump straight in. It's a long passage, 30 verses, and we could be guilty of doing with a, uh, a passage like this what a lot of us probably do when we go food shopping when we're hungry. You know what it is when you go in, you intend to come, just go get a basket load, and by the time you get to the till, the basket is loaded, you kick in the second basket, you've got groceries in this hand, cornflakes on your head, because you're hungry and you want to take all the good deals that are in the shop. I hope we've come to the Bible hungry this morning, and there is clearly loads of good stuff, trolley loads of good stuff in these 30 verses. Uh, but what we're going to do this morning to help us just focus in on what it is uh, the Lord is saying to us today. The big idea of what we're talking about, be on the screen behind me, is obedience under pressure. What does it look like for Christians to be obedient under real pressure? Because every week as we've been going through the book of Acts, as we've been uh, following the story of the early church, so Jesus has come, he's died, he's rose again, he's ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit, and the church has been established. And over the last few weeks, we've been following the story of this church. Every week as we, as we follow the story, we see this small group of Christians, which week by week is growing bigger, who are obediently fulfilling the mission that Jesus gave them back in chapter 1. Do you remember that? In verse 8 of chapter 1, Jesus said to them, to these Christians, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission that Jesus gave this small group of Christians was to go and tell people about him, to go and tell them the hope of the gospel. But the pressure is truly on now. Uh, persecution against the church is increasing. We can see it's getting worse week by week as we go through this book. And the question is, are these Christians going to cave in to this pressure? Are they going to crumble under that pressure? Or are they going to obey God's word? And that's the question that I think we need to ask ourselves as a church today. Are we going to crumble under pressure? Or are we going to be the type of church that obeys God's word no matter what. Let me pray as we jump in together. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us now. God, that you'd move powerfully amongst us. Lord, that you'd speak to us and that we would be changed through the preaching of your word today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, my wife, Judy, got a haircut this week. So if you see her. You can compliment her on that. Um, and she got her hair cut up in Presswich. And the lady cutting her hair said, oh, what are you up to tonight? And Jude's, good on her, saw it as an opportunity to try and talk about Trinity Church to her. Because it was small group at hours that night. And so Jude's just said, oh, I've actually got a small group at hours, a Bible study group. She went, oh, why, why do you go to that? She went, oh, because I'm a part of a church. Oh, what church is it? Oh, I'll go to Trinity Church. Oh, what type of church is that? I wonder how you'd answer that question. What type of church are we, Trinity Church? Maybe let's make that question a little bit bigger this morning. What kind of church do you want us to be? You know, do you want us to be a church with excellent teaching? Do you want us to be a church with a really tight-knit community? Do you want our church to have really impressive pastors? Because if you do, we can recommend one. <laughs> what kind of church... Do you want us to be? Maybe let's make that question even bigger. What kind of church does God want us to be? We know what God wants us to do. 
We know we, we are continuing the mission that we've seen in Acts chapter 1. The mission is to go out and make Jesus known. But how do we get there? You know, what kind of church do we have to be to do that well? Well, I think Peter gives us the answer very clearly here in verse 29 of chapter 5 where we've just been together. We must be an obedient church. How do we do that? Well, I think we do that simply by clinging to this book with everything that we have. Now, it's no secret, is it, that over the last 50 years, our nation, or 50 years or so, our nation has really turned its back on the Bible. And devastatingly, even worse than that, many so-called churches have done the same thing. You know, to find a church, you could, you could go into a church and find teaching, uh, false teaching about who Jesus is, or the seriousness of sin. We don't like to talk about that. Or the reality of hell. Or the fact that grace comes through faith alone in Christ alone. These are things that the church has literally shed her blood for. And today, many churches, sadly, have abandoned biblical truth. Sometimes I think the Bible can be treated a little bit like an international all-you-can-eat buffet. You take what you want, you leave what you don't want. Now, I love international buffets. But we shouldn't approach the Bible like that, should we? You know, particularly since the Enlightenment in the 1700s, biblical inerrancy... That is the, the, the teaching that the, the Bible is true and accurate and, and uh, reliable, particularly since then, it's been under attack. You know, what happens when you take away or try to take away the authority of Scripture? Just fast forward to today, and you'll see, sadly, you get disobedient churches. Churches who honestly have no idea what they're doing. Churches who are not preaching the gospel. Churches who are not leading people to Christ. You know, churches who might as well rebrand and just call themselves some sort of weird Sunday morning club where you come, come along for a rubbish coffee and even worse music, you know? It's been suggested that even here in Manchester, in our great city where we live, in Greater Manchester, less than 1% of people attend regularly a church that preaches the gospel. Trinity Church, the pressure is truly on us to give this book up to stop listening to God. And I think it's highly likely, and I'm sure most of you agree with me, it's likely that that pressure is only going to increase in the days ahead. So what do we do with that? Welcome to church. What a cheery message this morning. What do we do with that? Well, we can take heart this morning, can't we? Because this is where the church has been before. It's where the church is now and is where the church is going. I mean, just look here in Acts chapter 5, right at the beginning of the history of the story of the church. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, we can see, wonderfully, this church is growing. So it says there in verse 14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord. This church, this early church, is living in obedience to God's word. It is obeying the command to go out and make Jesus known. And wonderfully, the church, the church is growing. But so... So is the opposition to them. Verse 18, do you see that? The apostles are arrested and thrown in jail. Now, this is key. It's going to be on the screen. Obedience to God's word, obedience is the catalyst for both the growth and the persecution of the church. Do we see that? Obedience is the catalyst for both the growth so as they're obeying the command to follow Jesus, people are being saved. 
and also the persecution, as they're obeying the command to follow Jesus, they're being more and more severely persecuted. So again, we ask the question, what kind of church do we want to be, Trinity Church? Because, you know, we're big enough now, I think, that we could kind of just shut the doors a little bit and pull the curtains a little bit. We've got enough financial resources between us now to survive, and we could be quite quiet. And honestly, we could probably have quite a nice, comfortable Christianity here, aside from the slightly cold building. We could have a quite nice, comfortable, quiet Christian life, which takes us away from the world around us, and all the pressure that we feel will be gone. Or we could live in obedience to the call to teach the gospel, no matter what, and to make disciples, even if it's going to cost us, even if it's going to cost us severely. And the early church was all about that second option, weren't they? Look at verses 17 and 18 with me there. The religious leaders of the day have arrested and and imprisoned the apostles again. (laughs) It's not even like big news. It's already happened once. This is the, the second time. Do you remember back in chapter 4, uh, Christians were arrested and then they were released with a warning. That, and the warning was, stop talking about Jesus, okay? And here we come to chapter 5, what are they doing? <laughs> they're talking about Jesus. Uh, and again, they're arrested and this time they're released. But if you notice there at verse 40, it's, no, it's not just a warning this time. They get severely beaten by the authorities, Now, a lot of commentators think that this is probably, most likely will be the 40 lashes minus one um, from the Old Testament Jewish law. That's the most severe punishment you could give someone. So basically, these guys would have been beaten, no exaggeration, potentially like close to death. Like they were beaten severely before being released. The pressure has intensified in one flip of a page. They've gone from being told to stop doing that to now, we are, we are beating you for doing what we told you not to do. And as we're going to see in the days ahead, the weeks ahead, very quickly, the persecution is going to get even worse. The pressure is getting more and more, and Christians are going to start being in broad daylight just murdered for following Jesus. How is it then, amid such growing hostility to God's word, Peter is able to stand up there in verse 29 and say, we must obey God rather than man. Trinity Church, how can we have a faith like that? How do we get there? To have the kind of faith that makes us courageous, truly courageous to stand firm when we're up against it and the pressure is really on us. Well, I think there are three things that we can draw out this passage that will help us in this, this fight ahead of us. And the three things are we need to know the radical power of the Spirit. We need to know the necessity of preaching the gospel And then we'll very briefly go to, we need to know the joy of knowing Jesus. So the first point, know the radical power of the Spirit, verses 12 to 16. Pete's already mentioned that we're doing something called Pray 50 at the moment. 50 days in the Psalms and in prayer together. And we're going to be going out praying this week together, which I'm looking forward to. You know, we really want to be a church that prays. And we recognize that we have a lot to learn about prayer We want to be a church that is praying with more effectiveness. We want to pray better prayers this year than we did last year. We want to be praying about things that are in line with the Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening here in verse 12. Uh, The apostles, we see there, they're performing what, what is called many signs and wonders. So these are miraculous things that are going on in the life of the church by the power of the Spirit. So healings, uh, casting out demons. 
And this, these signs and wonders are a direct result of the prayer that they prayed back in chapter 4, verses 29 to 30. And it'll be on the screen. So after their first release from prison, the church came together and they prayed this. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats. So the threats of the authorities who have just said, stop talking about Jesus. Consider their threats and enable your servants to what? Speak your word. That was the heart of their prayer. Give us the ability to speak your word with great boldness. Their prayer is that God will enable them to proclaim the gospel with boldness in the face of this opposition, which is right in front of them. And then they pray that God will authenticate the preaching of the gospel by signs and wonders. So verse 30, they pray, God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And that's what we see going on here in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. The church is witness to many of the Spirit's signs and wonders. But not just the church are, are witness to this, but the unbelieving world around them are as well. And as a result of that, we see in verse 14, people are being saved. Isn't that amazing? People are seeing the power of the Spirit and are being drawn in. Now, let's just be clear about one thing here, because I know some of you will be sitting on the edge of your seats. What's Malcolm about to say? People are not being saved by signs and wonders. People are being saved by Jesus. So we know that in Acts chapter 2, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not everybody who calls on the works of the Lord, not everybody who is witness to the miracles of the Lord, everybody who calls on the name, on the authority, on Christ himself, they will be saved. So people weren't becoming Christians because their leg got healed or because they witnessed some amazing miracle. People were being saved through the preaching of the gospel, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and that that means today we can repent of our sin and find forgiveness and full life in him. That is the message that was saving souls. But these signs and wonders authenticated or proved to be true the preaching of the gospel. In other words, they demonstrated God's power to save. Now, I've got a great quote. It's going to be on the screen. It's a long quote. John Piper is a pastor in America. He puts it this way. He says, signs and wonders do not save. Me and John agree. Signs and wonders do not save. They are not the power of God unto salvation. They do not transform the heart any more than music or art or drama or magic shows. What changes the heart and saves the soul is the self-authenticating glory of Christ seen in the message of the gospel. Then he continues, but, told you it was a long quote, but even if signs and wonders can't save the soul, they can, if God pleases, shatter the shell of disinterest. They can shatter the shell of cynicism. They can shatter the shell of false religion. Like every other good witness to the word of grace, they can help the fallen heart to fix its gaze on the gospel, where the soul-saving, self-authenticating glory of the Lord shines. Signs and wonders point us to the saving power of Jesus. Now, it's worth saying some Christians uh, and, and uh, great Bible-believing Christians who we would partner with and love, some Christians don't believe in the continued signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit. They, they believe that the signs and wonders have ceased 
with the apostles. So that group of people could be called cessationists. It's one, one name, that theological term that's given to that belief. But here at Trinity Church, we are what you might call continuationists. That is, we believe that the Holy Spirit, uh, what, sorry, we believe that uh, the works of the Holy Spirit that were present in the New Testament continue in the church today edifying us, equipping us for mission, empowering us to go out and tell people the gospel. So we believe that God, according to his sovereign will, may choose to, may choose to accompany the preaching of the gospel with supernatural wonders of the Holy Spirit today. Now you might say, if that is true, if God still works like this, then why don't I see it? Why don't I see more of it? Two very brief things on that. This is a great quote. There are less miracles in the Bible than you probably think. And there are more miracles in the world today than you probably know. There are less miracles in the Bible than you probably think. And there are more miracles in the world today than you probably know. You know, it's really easy, isn't it, when we read Acts, uh, to sit down and just go page after page. And we just see all these amazing, crazy things going on. Healings, gift of tongues, words of knowledge. And just to think that, man, these signs and wonders, they're just happening every day. It's like the apostles woke up, had the conflicts, and just went out and just saw these unbelievable things every day. But we have to remember, number one, Acts was, is the right at the beginning of church history. It starts off on page one with 120 Christians in the whole world. <laughs> you know, this is a tiny group of people. And so God chose to move powerfully and quickly. But also we need to remember, Acts is written over 30 years. You can sit down and read Acts in an hour. This is a 30-year span we're looking at. Miracles were not just happening day after day after day, but they're recorded so that we can see them. There are less miracles in the Bible than you probably think. But there are more miracles in the world than you probably know. One of the problems with our modern, westernized version of Christianity is we've just made it so individualistic, haven't we? I'm guilty of this. Think, well, if I haven't seen it, then it can't be true. But if we could somehow gather all the stories, all the authentic stories from all the church and all the world today, we would be amazed at what God is doing. Stories of God delivering people from demonic powers or, or healing the sick so that they could be, have their eyes open to the, the truth of the gospel. You know, maybe even today, in the next 24-hour period of this world, Somewhere in China or, or Portugal or India, God will choose to move in a particularly supernatural way amongst his people for his glory and for the good of his people. So that's one reason we might not be seeing these works of the Spirit today. The second reason we might not see the works of the Spirit today is simply because we don't ask. We don't pray about it. You know, when they were up against it, the early church were not afraid to ask the Spirit to help them preach the gospel by helping with signs and wonders. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31 says that Christians should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And so the question we need to ask is, as we're talking about obedience, are we being obedient to that command? If we want to see the Holy Spirit supernaturally move amongst us to authenticate the preaching of the world, to open the eyes of people so that they could see the glory of Christ, then we should be asking him to do that and to help us. To stay obedient under pressure, we need to know the power 
of the Holy Spirit. The early church knew that power. And so they were enabled to preach the gospel even under significant pressure. And this is our second point. This morning, we need to know the necessity of preaching the gospel. We're in verses 17 to 32 here. Now, for me, this is actually the craziest bit of this whole story, much more so than the signs and wonders or the fact that there's an angel. We haven't even got to that yet. An angel suddenly appears. This section, I think, is, is the most amazing. So the apostles that have been thrown into prison, haven't they? But verses 19 and 20, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. This is the crazy part. These Christians had been preaching the gospel. Then they get thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. God releases them from prison, and it's the end of the story. Nope. God releases them from prison, and then he says, go preach the gospel. Now, if I was in their position, I'm pretty sure I would probably feel like I have earned the right to have a night off. I've literally just been in prison for, for telling people about Jesus. I'm going to go home. I'm going to watch Netflix, eat some chocolate, and hang out with my wife. But not these guys. God's word comes to them again. And what do they do? They obey it. They obey it. They're like those uh, birthday cake candles. You know, we try and there's the sparkler ones that you can't blow out. They're like that. They just won't stop. And don't j- skip over the fact of, of where they're told to go. They're told to go stand in the temple courts. This is a big deal. This is the very center of Israel's national and religious life. You know, it wasn't go and stand on the street corner. It was like go to the bullseye and tell people about Jesus. To walk into this space and talk about Jesus is dangerous. It would be a bit like a Man City fan going down to Old Trafford with a tin and some paint and just going around and start painting everything in blue. It's like, are you crazy? Why are you doing that? Preaching the gospel in the temple is dangerous. In verse 25, they're not even doing it quietly. Did you spot that? People notice and the word spreads. By the morning time, the word is spread and it gets back to the authorities again. These Christians are literally, literally risking their lives in order to obey God and tell people about Jesus. So why do they do it? I think it's because they know the gospel brings salvation to all who believe. Even the most hard-hearted of people. Look at how Peter speaks to these religious leaders in front of him in verses 29 to 32. You know, some of these leaders are quite literally the people who condemned Jesus to death. Isn't that amazing? They are the ones who gave Jesus the sentence. They were there when Christ was crucified. They were literally the ones who killed Jesus. And Peter isn't afraid to say that to them. He's not afraid to call that out. He says in verse 30, you killed him, but God raised him. You rejected him, but God exalted him. Peter wasn't afraid to call out sin because he knows the better story. It's as though he is saying, 
Leaders, you killed him. You are responsible. You played a part in this. But the good news for you is he didn't stay dead. He is alive. And his message of salvation is even for you. That is boldness to say that in that moment at that place. Verse 31, he is telling me, he's literally telling these leaders how to be saved, how to have their sin forgiven, how it is that they can come to trust in Jesus as their savior, as he says. Listen, are you a, are you a hard-hearted sinner here this morning? Because we all once were, weren't we? Do you sometimes feel like your sin is just worse than everyone else's? There is no possible way that God could actually forgive me, that grace could truly extend to my debts. Just hear this with confidence. And it's not my words. These are the words of the Bible. This message of salvation is for you, whoever you are. Jesus died and rose again so that you might be forgiven. Trinity Church, we know the better story. Jesus is alive, amen? We cannot, and that means that we, we cannot stay quiet about this. It means that we can lovingly, we can lovingly talk to our non-Christian friends and family about the reality of sin, about the reality of death, because we know the reality of forgiveness. We know the reality of life. Peter wasn't on his high horse by any means in front of these men. These were some of the most impressive men in the ancient world. He didn't think he had a one-up on, the, on them. I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wasn't able to love these men enough to tell them the truth of the gospel. And for us today, we need to remember the necessity of preaching the fullness of the gospel, even if it costs us. Without Jesus... The gospel is overwhelmingly bad news. But with Jesus, it is overwhelmingly good news. And it is good news for us this morning. And if we want to be telling more people about Jesus, then it is key, our final point, that we are, as a church, truly enjoying Jesus. We need to know the joy of knowing Jesus. So, the apostles are arrested. They're imprisoned. They're released, they're arrested. <laughs> and then verse 40, they're beaten severely. What does this closing scene look like for us this morning? Verse 41, I love this. Verse 41, they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus. Man, if we just had some of that here today. I love this image. Battered and bleeding, quite literally the skin will be hanging off their back. I can only imagine the physical pain, but still rejoicing. Not mindless happy clappiness, rejoicing. True joy. They're like their master, Jesus, in this moment. Jesus, who when he was killed, he was battered, he was broken, hanging on a cross. Still, even on the cross, Jesus trusted and worshipped his father, praying to him amidst the, the pressure that we could never even imagine. Christians all around the world today are able to suffer disgrace for Christ because he suffered utter disgrace for us. 
I remember uh, when, when we were at City Church, some of us were at a, a church in the city centre called City Church. Uh, one Sunday, a group of men arrived and uh, they made a profound impact on me. And I'm sure some of you here might remember this. They were coming from a, a nation where uh, they'd been severely, severely persecuted for following Jesus. And um, I remember they were in front of me in a time of worship and we were singing. And these men raised their hands. And as they raised their hands, their t-shirts slid down. And there were just scars all over their body from the severe beating that they had experienced in their home nation for following Jesus. And yet, there they were, my brothers, able to rejoice in suffering. Because knowing Jesus is that good. And when we remember that, when we take a hold of that, in our context here in North Manchester, we will find we will be enabled, we were able to live in obedience to the call to go out and to make him known. Look at this closing scene, verse 42. Day after day, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Trinity Church, I pray that this may be our story that we will never stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are kind. Lord, we thank you that you are patient. And Lord, we thank you that you are here with us this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you gave up your life, that you suffered utter disgrace so that we could receive grace. And today, power by your Holy Spirit to go out and make you known. Oh, Lord, would you help us as we call people to repentance, to come and meet with, with you, Lord Jesus. Would you, by your Spirit, work amongst us, do a wonderful work amongst us. And Lord, would we see many people saved in our, our area here in North Manchester. We pray these things in your name. Amen.